Welcome back to the Writer's Advice episode, everyone. I am so excited to share another, another really great guest with you and just dive into all the inspiration and more than that, the advice and the action. And hopefully this gives you a little bit of just... I don't know, just just those really feel-good vibes if you need a moment to step away from your writing, if you need um, to feel seen and heard and to, um, it's almost like a chat with another author. So I'm very, very excited to share this episode with you. I also have some more exciting advice, uh, not advice, I have some exciting information that I cannot wait to share with you. And it is, that's my really um, pathetic drum roll. I need something better than that. <laughs> um, my brand new book is coming out very soon on the 25th of October and today right now is the first time that I am widely speaking about this so thank you for listening in my brand new book is called manifest so it is a new adult YA book that is all about friendship and life and um, the journey that it takes us on, essentially, it is a very coming-of-age story. It's a rom-com. It's a feel-good. I like to say it's Legally Blonde meets Abraham Hicks. It's the Australian um, rom-com chick flick movie that you didn't get when when you were young um, growing up in the 90s or if you're young now and you just want to dive into something really fun. It's... Um, it's a really great adventure and I'm going to be sharing so much more on this in the coming weeks. But if you want to learn any more about it, you can also join my Patreon um, subscription. So you, if you join um, my Patreon, you get a couple of chapters of each of my books before it actually launches. So you get three chapters, um, two to three chapters a week of every up and coming book and it's only six dollars a month and when you do join you get my whole backlist as well so you know you can read as much as you want during that time um for the month or or stay and join and um see everything else that I have got coming up as well you can also pre-order manifest now up on my website oliviahillia.com or you can just grab the first couple of free pages that is on my website as well um which I will put in these show notes if you want to know more about the book if you want to know more about the podcast if you want to chat to me about absolutely anything I am mostly active on Instagram which is at oliviahillia author and I cannot wait to chat with you there about all things writing and more but right now I'm going to show you a I'm going to share with you a really great episode um with a very exciting author so let's get into it writer's advice is a point of connection a dose of inspiration and an insight into the creative process of the babes behind the books I'm your host Olivia Hillier each week, I'll be interviewing authors from around the globe on their creative process and how they got to where they are today and what it's really like inside the industry of publishing. So listen in, take notes, and I hope you walk away inspired, ready to take on the next level of your writing wherever you are in your journey. Welcome back, listeners. I am very excited because this week on the Writer's Advice podcast, we are joined by screenwriter of both TV, movie and playwright and her brand new memoir, It's Not a Pity Memoir, 
Abby Morgan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Lovely to be on. Thank you. Now, I want to start, there's so much I want to dive into with, with general writing with you, but um, how, when did you first know that you were a writer? Really late, actually. I mean, I wasn't one of those kids who kind of kept a notebook and constantly wrote down my feelings. Or um, I was very academically challenged, I would say. I really, really, really hated school. In fact, my biggest memory and my reoccurring nightmare is waking up and I'd forgotten to go to school. And it's because I basically never showed up. So I very quickly kind of, um, I didn't fit into the kind of system. I didn't even have that English teacher who loved me or, um, but I had one teacher who just, whenever we did projects, you know, when in, in primary school and wh which involved oral storytelling, that was where I sort of excelled. And, um, and it really came from what I, I didn't really write. I think what, what I realized is I love the kick of the, the punchline, the plot twist, the dramatic moment. And so I was a, a real fabricator of stories when I was very young. And, you know, it would every, you know, I would often have a really good story, you know, the cat had died, but it would be the cat died. And then, you know, I had to run in and save it. And the story would just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was a terrible liar. And it was quite funny because I came from a sort of what would be considered relatively glamorous background in terms of both my parents were in theater and, they had quite a lot of famous friends. And I used to tell people that my dad was a policeman and that we had a German shepherd dog. And I remember being rumbled when some girls came to my house and were like desperately looking for this dog. So I think very early on, I, I told lies. And I think that was where I realized that I loved an audience and I loved storytelling. But it really was, honestly, it wasn't until I, I eventually did go to university. I took a year out. I retook some exams to get back in and... I did an English and drama degree and I did that thing of, you know, I, I first year I was the colour of the wallpaper. I mean, I don't think anyone noticed me. Uh, and then towards the end of the second year, we had to write a monologue and perform it. And I am no actor, I will tell you. And I'm, I mean, I did a year acting and I'm so bad. I don't have the ability to transform. But what I really noticed when I did this very, and um, we've got, very, I mean, you probably know, but very well known British playwright, brilliant writer called Alan Bennett amazing and he, was, he writes beautiful character studies of, of Brits really and the sort of quirks of, of what it means to be British and so I did this little monologue based on a woman that I'd seen on a train and I had I heard that thing which I heard when I was a kid when I'd go in and go the cat died people would look and listen and I heard what the thing that everybody I think looks for or writers look for particularly if you, if you come from theatre which is you listen for the silence and it's the silence of listening. And I think that was when I thought, oh, okay, I can, I can find a way to get an audience to listen. I can't, if I get up on it, if I perform, I'm useless. If I, you know, try and flirt, I'm crap. If I, if I try and do any other, the kind of normal ways we interact, but what I could do was tell a story. And so it, it began orally and then I started to write. And so that was really, it took me until I was in my early early 20s really and then I had that great revelation which I think most writers have which was you know um I could spend all day on my own and yet in my head I traveled and so it's still the thing that gives me a kick in fact when just before I sat down today I put my I was like why do I feel good today and I thought oh my gosh I've got no meetings beyond this podcast <laughs> I'm on my own all day and tomorrow my kids are away and I'm gonna write on a Saturday and I'm so, I was I felt this buzz of like oh I can't wait you know so I still get that kick I mean I also get that oh god I've got to write today but you know it's 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 
yeah so that was really that's a very long answer to a very simple question but yeah that was that's the answer really no that's really beautiful and I absolutely love that it's um it is such a writer's feeling of like oh my god I've got a free day like oh my gosh my plans are cancelled like how amazing <laughs> like it's um I must have been the only person who kind of enjoyed COVID I think there was a sort of you know as, as well as it being a terrible global tragedy and I, I the other part was I was slightly annoyed that everybody suddenly understood what I'd known all along which is it's really fun to not get out of your pajamas all day you know it's really fun there is something really great to have your fridge really close to your desk and actually you know the the thing that still baffled me I, I did a work placement when I was 17 in a publishing company cool brilliant amazing publishing company again I felt like the color of the wallpaper I couldn't literally communicate and I remember thinking there was no way I will be able to be in an office like this it's just not going to work for me so I think also if you're someone who is naturally antisocial um, it, it, it's your natural, natural domain, really. Yeah. So, so I totally get that. I totally get that. I think it's a, it's a very particular thing, actually. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you know, you have to understand, particularly, you have to understand people so well at the same time. Like you're creating characters you know and you you're not really alone I guess you're kind of spending it spending it writing all day with with your characters but um when was the first when was your first um moment um when you're like oh this is really working you know when you've um your your screenwriting your playwriting when were you like yeah this is this is really my thing after you've studied it's really funny, actually, because I did, when I first left, I mean, I didn't earn money from writing until I was in my late 20s, early 30s, and I was watching my friends become doctors and lawyers and, you know, being brilliant and paying for dinner for me, and, you know, and, and I was, you know, I kept on thinking, I'm going to be the oldest waitress in town, and I was, so I did a lot of waitressing, a lot of looking after empty buildings, but I worked on a play, and I literally rewrote the first page again and again and again, and the reason why I was able to do this a lot of what really helped me is I did a combination I waitress but I also got this amazing job with a large company I won't name them but they own loads of empty properties they're a large corporation and the woman who was in charge of all their properties as they were downsizing had all these empty office buildings and she needed someone to occasionally be there to show people around rentals and I went you know I'm a, I want to write and she went I don't care what you do you've got a computer do it just occasionally if you've got a kind of group of German businessmen you know, walk, walk them around the building and talk about the truncating system. And so I would kind of do this. I did this for five years and it was amazing. And I basically worked on one play. And I kid you not, I rewrote the first page. I didn't go past the first page, probably for the first 18 months. And what I realized in that rewriting and writing and rewriting of that first page, I was actually mentally plotting out the whole play. Um, so I think that was when I, that was weirdly my kind of apprenticeship. But what I do remember very clearly is I remember writing it was my third play and I'd written every, I used to write for competitions and get, I'd never win, but I'd get through to the last three or the last, so I'd always be standing by the writer who won, um, but it gets you noticed, but also it sets deadlines. And, you know, that's what, you know, it's, it's both our blessing and curse. We need, you know, I, I like to set deadlines that I constantly miss, but I le at least I like to have them in the sand. Um, but it was about my third play and I got my first sort of proper commission from a, a new playwriting company and I wrote it very quickly but I remember my mum was staying with me and this is you know aged in my late 20s I remember she was in the kitchen I remember I went and sat on her lap this sounds so bizarre I've never ever told anyone this and I was shaking and I was like 
And it was because for the first time ever, I thought, I think I've written something good. And it was terrifying. I was like a kid again. I was like, oh my. And it was like I was presenting some work. And I think that was the moment where I thought, no, I think I've actually written something. Listen, in that moment, we all think we're Samuel Beckett or Arthur Miller or, you know, August Wilson or any other. I must mention a female playwright. Why is my brain going to Carol Churchill? But, um, and you totally think, but actually, and, and, and you know, most of writing is a process of failure. I very quickly realized it was a thoroughly average play, but I knew I could do it. And that was, I think that was weirdly my moment in my kitchen with my mom going, oh my God, I'm feeling sick with nerves, but I've done it, I've finished something. Because, you know, I always say to, what I say to people who want to write is, writers are just the writers who write. And actually there's lots of people who want to be writers, but you know, the, nothing comes of nothing. You have to, even if it's crap, most of what I write is crap. I think most of the time you're just sifting for pearls and you're just, you'll spend the whole day and you'll have sifted and sifted and you still don't get a pearl. And then what you don't realize is through that sifting, you're clearing the silt because there's a pearl under there somewhere, you know? So yeah. I guess that, that, you know, it, it was the first taste of kind of going, shit, I found a pearl. Yeah. You know, I found a pearl, you know? Yeah, that's a very amazing. low value pearl. It was a very low value pearl. I didn't lose, but you know, in that moment, it meant a lot. You know, it was probably fool's gold, but it was it was a good moment. You know, that's so beautiful. And then when you have that, you know, it creates. It does. It creates that momentum that keeps it going. Like, yes, okay, I can do this. I can, I can keep this going. Totally. And before your memoir, did you ever think about writing before in like book? Uh, sorry, in like author form. Do you know what? I really cringe because my mum's best friend is a is a is a very brilliant established um, author, a novelist. And I remember when I was about seventeen, being around the supper table, her and her husband are both novelists. And I remember going, "Yeah, I might write a novel. Yeah, I'm going to work on a novel. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to write one." And I look back now, and I remember they went, oh, "Okay, you're looking forward to reading it." Oh my gosh, it's that. I mean, that kind of long form prose is so different. I mean, it, it, this. So no, I never thought of writing a, I, I, you know, I thought when I was 16 of writing a book and then I realized how damn hard it was. And um, it's a very interesting thing, isn't it? What we choose to write for, what format we choose to write for, to use that sort of TV term. And I sometimes think, why did my ideas have more naturally fallen into screenwriting? Yeah. And if I'm really honest, it's a combination of, um, there's a natural affinity for me between the leanness of screenwriting and image making yeah but it's also economics yeah which was I just couldn't make money from playwriting early on and certainly not enough to raise children on and yeah and uh, you know I was, I was with an out-of-work actor so I think the idea of the novel I associated that with something you know where you live in your garret in Paris and it always felt like the impossible dream and it still does I mean a novelist to be a novelist I think it's incredible you know and um anyway listen I'm gonna go off piece you've got to just keep running no, 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 I really I really want to get into um I really want to get into the memoir because I have so many questions to ask you on that but I firstly um I actually don't know how this works now in screenwriting or in screenwriting or playwright when how were you first um what first inspires you for an idea that you're like yes I want to jump on that and are you still coming up with new ideas or now how established you are you're kind of been given ideas to to go with how does how does it work that way weirdly I mainly work on my own ideas and and I often you know I'm learning I call it a dog whistle I talk about it as the dog whistle which is I'm waiting with any project and it, that includes my own I'm waiting for that moment where something which is inaudible 
to the sort of average art ear, but something internal makes you prick up and you kind of go, I can hear this. And there'll be an internal prick up of the ears of someone else as well. And I look for that. And I, there are sometimes projects which I have taken because I know it's a cool book or it's an amazing director or there's an amazing actress attached, but I never really got that dog whistle. And I, nine times out of 10, that thing will never get made. Or even if it is, it's not something which is, it's probably not the thing I should have done. Um, the older I've got, uh, the more, the less, I know the shape of how projects work in, and of course these things change, but I can sort of average out of shape so I can look at my life, you know, I'm 54 next week and I was like, okay, you know, how do I want to spend the next decade? What do I want to do, um, you know, in this next period? And so I think quite carefully about what I want to do, um, but on the whole, it tends to be my own ideas. And often, you know, I do do adaptation of books. I'm blown away by a book and hugely admiring. And I also, it's such a, it's such an act of recreation, but also preservation of what everyone has loved in a book or what is mm. essential to the novelist. And sometimes it's been quite interesting. I, I've, I enjoy liberating myself from that. I enjoy being freer. So on the whole, I tend to work on my own stuff. But, you know, funny enough, I'm circling. I've been circling an idea for a play, which I was then like, no, it's, it's definitely, I'm going to do it as a TV show. And weirdly, I've just spent the last few months going to the theatre on my own, which I never normally do, which I've absolutely loved. And sitting in those kind of, you know, those like sleepy Thursday afternoon matinees or session afternoon where you are literally the youngest person in the audience. And I've been like, oh, my gosh, theatre is great. How much do I love theatre and the intimacy of it? And and so there's a sort of I'm suddenly starting to get that new filter of like, oh, I think I want to write a play now. I think I will. So I, I, I sort of wait and listen. And often I get inspired by those around me you know and I think oh gosh that's beautiful I love Susie Miller I just got to know her the playwright and she's such a force of nature and such a giver and such a lovely generous you know I've, I've, I've one of the things I've really enjoyed hitting my 50s is I feel like I'm meeting this generation of women of my age who particularly amongst weirdly amongst playwriting and novel writing again because I spent a lot of time with screenwriters yeah so generous so warm so open so interested in storytelling um that that's been very inspiring. So I, I kind of, I, I tend to focus on my own ideas, but I do look and think how many ideas have I got in me that I can execute and deliver? So yeah. I get more strategic because there's nothing worse than backtracking out of a project when you've taken money or people are relying on you. So I just choose those things really carefully now. Yeah, yeah. And oh my gosh, that is so beautiful. How do you know when, like, say you've got an idea and you're like, no, this would be best for a play or this would be best for film or this would be best for I guess I guess is it the same thing it's that that ear prick of like this is the best way to bring this story to life like yeah I mean I think there are sometimes there's a kind of there, there are pressure you know someone's offered me recently a, a really beautiful short story and what I battle with is that the money around it is Hollywood money but I still think it's a small film and it doesn't need that much money on it it needs yeah. something smaller so I sometimes have those kind of dynamics going on and I think no I want to I want to preserve this. I don't want this to be, uh, I mean, interestingly, you know, we'll get to my memoir, but one of the things I'm thinking about in screen form, how do I do that? What do I want to do with that? You know, and uh, and what I want to make it, you know, I, I think about, I think sometimes I want something that's very quiet, very modest, but powerful. You know, TV brings a whole other pressure to it, particularly now we're in this extraordinary, you know, streamer age. I went to the cinema on Sunday again on my own and I was the only person in the cinema. And I was like, please don't tell me cinema is dying. I thought no the thing is it was a sort of it was a sort of small indie film 
And I thought these are the films that are really tricky at the moment, you know, or even yeah. the mid-range films that are tricky, the big blockbusters, even the art, even the art house maybe, but there's something about those mid-range indie films that are tricky that I, I don't know if they'll survive. So, so that thing of film and TV, that's the blur I find quite tricky now. And where do, where do these films fit, you know? Because there was still yeah. something magical we know about being in the cinema, for example. But yeah. I, I, I don't know, there's no, you know, even chaos has a form. There is a kind of form somewhere in this chaos, but I, I'm quite kind of instinctive led. And then also I'm inspired by the people, you know, what I love about screenwriting is it's such a massive collaboration. And, you know, I talk about it. I never know if I'm the birth mother or the surrogate or, but somewhere along the line, you know, own the script you know you when you sign that contract you give your script over that's the revelation yeah you, you're, so you and so I treat the script quite lightly as a collective so I my job is to author it and drive it through but I am part of a collective so often it will be that a collective that will pick up the idea and I get inspired and will grow with that idea you know but at the beginning it's often you know my danger is I gabble so I might be in a meeting with someone and I've just got into a chat and by the end I'll have I'll have sold a film and I'd be like, I didn't, oh, I think that was going to be a play, you know. And <laughs> so sometimes those things just evolve, you know, just like, you know. Yeah. Someone yeah. said, one of the things I say to the writers, wait for your jam. And what, what I mean for that jam is like, I don't know if you have like jelly, I think maybe in America, wait for your jam, which is some right, you know, I often mentor young writers, which I really love. And, or I mentor writers, that's what I'm trying to do, because I think there's also this, this dearth of writers in their 40s 50s 60s that never got a chance which I'm sort of interested in but anyway I mentor writers and one of the things I say to writers they'll go, I've got this great idea and I'll go great don't tell me don't tell me till it's ready you can't have your jam yet because if I give you jam you won't write it and so this is the thing I tell writers don't talk out your ideas too much because sometimes you need the you need the kind of carrot of gratification at the end. And that doesn't mean you don't, you don't come to me and say, I've got a problem with like, there's, there's this character. That's a different thing, mechanism. What I'm talking about is don't pitch me every minute. Pitch it to yourself, work it on yourself, and then get ready to pitch, and then you'll get your jam. Because I think there are certain points where writers need their jam. Early on, you need your jam. It's like having children. You need to keep going. You need to keep tending. You need to keep watering. You need to keep nurturing. But there's a point you're going to go, no, you need to grow a little bit. I'm going to step back now because you can do this. You need to you need to grow a bit longer. You're getting out, you know? So yeah, I, it, you know, I sort of, I turn that on myself as well, which is um, I try and, you know, I hold back my ideas a bit more and try and let them brew a bit more as well internally and percolate. Yeah, absolutely. That is really, really beautiful advice. Um, I love that. Okay, so the memoir. This was just, honestly, it's one of my favourite reads. And um, sorry, am I saying am I saying it's not a pity memoir? It's not a pity memoir. And I am saying that it's a writer is not. That's not it. It's, it's, no, it's so beautiful. Not a pity memoir. Yeah, not. I love you though, because someone said to me, someone said this is. Someone said to me the other day, I love your. This is not a putsy memoir. Or someone, the people say it's a pity. It's a memoir. That's the other one I get a lot of. So don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know don't if it's it, it, or it's oh that's not but it, it, it's not a pretty memoir um honestly it is it is one of the best love stories that I have ever wrote and uh oh, sorry I remember I've ever read I haven't wrote <laughs> but um there was so many when you're reading something like that I get I I read you know you read as a reader but you also read as a writer as well and there were so many moments in there that I just I it it begged so many questions in me I would love to know 
when this started in the process for you, like, was this, did you at any point, um, firstly, I'll, I'll get you to chat on, on what it's about a little bit more to the audience. No, you don't want to. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going, no. Yes. Yeah. yeah I'll get you to chat about a little bit more. Still, about, gosh, then, yeah. I'd love to know, um, yeah, where in the process you started writing it? Like, was this more of something therapeutic to you or, you know, was it years on after through a lot of the experiences that you're like, I, I need to get this out? How did how did it all start for you? Uh, well, I mean, there are two things going on. I guess the, the first story is that, yeah. you know, Jacob, my partner of like 18 years, collapsed with a brain seizure and um, and so ensued, you know, a sort of crazy what is now four years since this happened of kind of medical t- catastrophe that hit myself and my Jacob and, and our family and and our children and really the book tries to capture the kind of mad craziness of what happens when somebody goes through a medical catastrophe and comes back very fundamentally changed and how you recalibrate and find your way back together and and I didn't set out to write a memoir it was certainly not in my head um but uh you know and I but but what basically happened was Jacob came out Jacob was in a coma for uh, nearly seven months and then basically came out of hospital 15 months later and um and you know he's an actor was an actor and so you know there's the the home is you know filled often with creative storytelling and pitching and my teenagers have <coughs> got used to me pitching ideas and so when Jake first came back one of the things that Jacob had was um an inability to initiate or he was very linguistically brilliant he just couldn't initiate any kind of conversation or even action and so when I first, I, would, I used to look at Jake across the dinner table and I'd think, how am I going to get you to talk? How am I going to get you out there again? Uh, but the one thing he was very drawn to is music. He loved music. He loves, tele- you know, movies. He loves, you know. And so he would play the ukulele and he's, he, he paralyzed his left hand. So he learned how to play it in a different way. And um, I'd listen to him playing the, uh, the ukulele and I'd think, I want him to feel the audience applause him. That was my, that was really it. So I had this crazy idea. I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a play about Jacob, about the story of what's happened to Jacob. And um, and I, I'm just going to write about what's happened because I'm spilling over with, with sadness and terror and rage and relief and more terror. And how am I going to not be frightened of this? And how am I going to, hold my nerve in front of my kids and how am I going to make something which has been so brutal to us as a family um I'm not going to give away too much because actually what I realize is I tell everyone the story of the book and in some ways it's kind of interesting to find out but but how am I going to get us through this brutal experience I know I'll do something which also always made me feel good which is and, and has been affirming to me and I will make something of it we, and we will make something of it and Jake will be in it and it'd be amazing and we have this incredible industry of like psychotherapists and speech and language and physio and I will get them and they will come and work with us in rehearsal and I'll get actors playing them and our best mutual male friend Jacob and mine looks just like Jacob and they're always they're always competing for each other in auditions and I'll go and I'll get Guy to play Jake and this is going to be amazing this is so exciting and so I go to a theatre and I pitch it and they go we love it it's amazing it's great and I'm like we're gonna make a piece of theatre forgetting one of two things one is Jake was too ill to do that mm. which I would just that was the fantasy and the second thing was lockdown happened oh. and as lockdown happened and as we you know the world we kind of had the, in in the UK we were just it, it, it was like March I think it was like March 2020 that first lockdown was kind of okay 
okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do it in six months time, this theatre piece. Um, I'll make sourdough, I'll do my vegetable garden. You know, it, it was a kind of quite, you know, terrifying, sad pandemic was hitting the world and I was watching everyone else go through their own inner pain. Mm. But it was quite okay. And, and we were adjusting as a family and it was probably a year, you know, nine months in Jake was home and we were finding our way back together. And I'd gone through my, my own sort of medical issues in the middle of it all. And, um, and then winter hit and we went into another lockdown and I could feel this cloud coming over me. And I could, and I, and it was the hardest period as well with J Jacob's rehab and us as a family, how do you bring someone and integrate each other? How do we come back together again? I've got to, at the time they were 14 and 16, um, my children. Uh, how do I bring them all back together? And how do I, how do I keep my insanity? And so literally I did that thing, which I remember reading JK Rowling or, you know, there's authors I, I admire who kind of go, the kids would go to bed and I would just sit at the kitchen table and write. And I'd be like, how do you do that? Because I mainly lie on the sofa, eat a lot of chocolate and watch crap. <laughs> but for the first time ever, I did do that. I, I just, and it was, it was, you know, I, I read a couple of books about writing memoirs. I mean, in fact, I read the first page of writing memoirs and they all went, Writing a memoir is not therapy. And I go, it's not therapy. It was kind of therapy, I guess. But I just had to, it was so frightening what was happening because really one of the key things that is about the, is at the heart of the book is probably the prism of the way you look at your life through the eye of a screenwriter. But also it's about identity because for various reasons, Jacob's identity, my identity was really challenged during the course of it and, and the identity of our relationship. And so... I didn't set out to write a love story. I love love stories. I mean, Nora Ephron is like one of my favorite writers, screenwriters. Um, but I, I just had to try and make sense of what was happening to us as a family. And the way I did that was I started to dive back into the 18 years I'd spent with Jacob and how we'd met and the highs and lows of our relationship and who he was and how, who we were as a couple and how we were going to find our way back. And so... I wrote it in a very sort of like a few weeks, really. I wrote it intensely for a few weeks and it was edited and changed and obviously evolved, but it was so liberating for me to have that prose because, you know, I, with screenwriting, I write very quickly and I do lots of drafts and I will write, I'm very fortunate. I have a strong creative team around me, brilliant creative team. But if I write on the Monday, they will have read by Monday night and come back with notes on Tuesday. And what I had forgotten was that internal voice of myself. No one was around, no one was interested in listening. And in fact, the person who read for me is my sister who works with me now. And so I was feeding her chapters every time I'd finish it saying, can you read this? And she would just go like that to me, keep going like that. And I go, okay. And I think she could see what was happening, which was I was somehow trying to lock down, make sense find chaos within the form of this crazy experience and I'm so grateful that it was in the form of prose because screenwriting has been quite I mean I think if I was a better if I was a novelist a proper writer I would say a proper novelist proper memoirist I would have got this but as a screenwriter it is all maths it is all about structure I let my I kind of went don't worry about that just because I don't know how to write prose just write it and I wrote it in a very different way and lots of screenwriting is about what you take out Really, I think most of screenwriting is about negative space and you want, it's about the visual and it's about language, but really it's about the space to allow an audience to feel. It's like theatre. Yeah. With, 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 an, with 
memoir writing, I just was like, I'm telling you my story. I don't know how this is coming out, but I've got to tell you this story because I think there's something in them in it. So would you come with me? Because I'm trying to make sense of this terrifying, heartbreaking, um, profoundly sobering experience. And so it was the one time I felt like my inner, inner writing genie, I felt so grateful. I felt so grateful that somewhere I'd found this genie very early on, this thing that if I could touch, if I could rub, if I could, it would wake up and go, okay, what's your wish today? What do you want to do? And I think it stood with me and it ran with me when I went through the worst experience. And I am so grateful. I'm grateful that I grew up in a creative household where my mom would say, tell me about it. I'm grateful about the friends, this amazing Jacob, my partner, you know, my editors who've kind of listened to me because it allowed me to go have that internal voice going, okay, I'm listening now. You're on your own, I'm listening. And so some, keep going, keep going. And so I, it was a very liberating experience, but it, as I've said before, and you, you come up with these, these kind of slightly hokey lines when you do a lot of press on something, but it is true. I did wake up and I do feel, feel like now it's like that feeling when you've got horribly drunk You've had a really good time, but the next day you go, what the hell did I say? Oh, my God. And I do think I wrote it in a kind of fugue, and I think it has that. You know, I've heard, I've heard the gamut of, like, praise and criticism of it, and one of the things is a friend said to me, it's like an emotional vomit. And I was oh. like, oh, my God, yeah, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. But there is – but the other side is there is – I'm also some I'm, – I'm a structuralist. I have to do structure. And so what was interesting for me was there is a kind of structure to it that was coming. It was like the writing arm was there, the screenwriter was there, the, the editor was there. And so it's a strange relationship between my own internal editor kind of helping make and shape a piece of free-flowing, very kind of – I mean, people say to me, my God, it's like – you write about everyone else's life. And one of the things that has been very reassuring to me when the book first went out, because one of the things I struggle with is whose story is it? You know, because it, it was my publisher who went, it's a love story, you know, you've written a love story. And I went, really, do you think I have? And it's taken me a long time to realize that, but it was Jacob when I first, the book was going out and I was so frightened about it. And I said, I feel, I feel really wobbly today, Jake. I don't know what I've done. And he went, well, you spent your whole life writing about everyone else you should write about yourself now and it was it was it was really important to me he said that because I struggle about whose story is you know whose story is this and I come to see that it's a kind of every story but it's my story about what's happened so I yeah very unique experience I, I don't know if I've got an, I don't think I certainly don't think I've got another memoir on me I, I'd be quite grateful if I have nothing worthy of another memoir but it was I felt very grateful and fortunate that it was my natural domain to put word to words are my natural words are my comfort and if you come to my house my walls are covered with less art and more posters images words I love words so words are my my communicator my savior I guess yeah I yeah guess. yeah and I like I definitely did not find it um an absolute word vomit at all to the point I was so it was it was so beautiful and free-flowing and just like you know, obviously what you've gone through is such a rare um, freak experience, but you put just such a depth of emotion that so many people could relate to in so many different areas and things that they've gone through. And you do, like your words, you have single sentences in there that's just like, oh, 
like stabs you with beauty. Like I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. And I recommend um, this book for everyone. But what you were just talking about, I was so interested because coming from like being a screenwriter, you know, that to then put this memoir out there, it's, Mm. it's vulnerable. Like it's, it's, it's a really beautiful, vulnerable experience. And you've, you've put so much of yourself into it. Well, you know, I circle that quite a lot, but I think, you know, I think, I, I think, you know, it's quite interesting. I look very different than I did. You know, I look at myself, I'm one breast down. I've got very little hair. I'm like, I felt like I was in my mid forties having a great time. And I suddenly am in my mid fifties going, where did that go? What happened? Um, you know, we were obliterated. Jacob has been, was obliterated. My children were obliterated. Our families were obliterated. We couldn't have been more vulnerable. But, you know, to use the kind of Brene Brown idea of the power of vulnerability, there is like nowhere else to go. The only thing you can do is go, yeah. And one of the things that people say to me, my God, you've been so open. And I'm like, yeah. And then I went, I, get, I got back on with the rest of my life. And I, I actually feel like the experience was so much more, so much more, you know, more exposing, so much more brutal. And one of the things I think about a lot, I was reading Nora Ephron did a really interesting article and she was talking about the relationship with her mother. Her mother was, I think her parents were screenwriters, certainly in the industry. And her mother was the one who coined the phrase, everything's material. It's her kind of phrase. And she talked about, she was talking about her mother and she said, you know, for a long time, I, I didn't really understand what this, what my mother meant by this. So, but what I come to realize is, and I'm going to badly paraphrase this. So sorry, RIP Nora Ephron, but, but she basically said, you know, when you slip on a banana skin, like everyone laughs as a writer, you want to write about the fact, you know, you've slipped on a banana skin and you want to analyze why you've slipped on a banana skin and you want to talk about why you've slipped on a banana mm. skin and you want to go, I know I slipped on a banana skin. And I guess that's what the, the memoir is about. It's like, it's about trying to convert the idea that there is no, not, not, there's no pity in this. You know, like, I wish this hadn't happened to us. And I think if you read the book, I think the word is right. It was a freak experience. There are layers of the experience where, and bad plot twists where I was like, oh my God, no, seriously, this is happening. It was like a bad, bad drama. Um, but it is not without its gifts. And and it is, and I guess the biggest gift is the way you have to expand your emotional, you know, your emotional muscle and also confront the biggest deadline of all, which I've talked about, which is the one I had failed to, you know, recognize, which is it's death, you know, and I think both Jacob and I really stared death in the face, face and certainly Jacob did. And I was kind of behind him and it's, you know, that's very sobering. And so yeah and yeah it's raw and 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 it's I'm one person it's such a small life I'm so deeply the one thing I have to get away take away from this is I'm so unimportant in the world and that is so great I should be unimportant in the world because and it's made me very liberated about the fact you know I mentor young writers and I mentor writers and I'm I'm always going I love your work I love your work but inside there's a little part of me going oh my god they're better than me I've got to work harder and now I feel like great 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 you know what I mean I feel more like I genuinely feel like good yeah do it do it because I'm just so grateful to be standing I'm so grateful my kids are okay and they're going off to college and they're in love and they're getting pissed and they're happy and I'm so grateful that we got Jacob home and I'm grateful I'm alive so you know I'm like I'm so grateful you respond like that you know occasionally I see (laughs) it was a great like 
because you know I look on Amazon and I see if it's selling or not and I you know I read those terrible reviews and someone put one star star and they put nothing happens <laughs> there's nothing there's, and they went literally there's no plot twist and I was like they definitely didn't read it <laughs> the point is you the five star and you're like the five star, you're like, oh, that's great, but that wears off. It's the one star you search for, you know. So there's always that inner critic. But actually, I feel, that, you know, the biggest thing is when people do say, I mean, you know, people say this hokey stuff, don't they? I, I was just so touched, and you know. But the truth is, it's genuinely what's been great is people haven't told me about their husbands collapsing with their brain seizures. They've told me about the fact they're not happy about the way they look, or they've told me about the facts that they ran home and hugged their husband who they'd been fighting with all day, or they say to me, God, I want a friend like that. Or they say to me like, God, you got lucky. And I, you know, I have a very normal marriage now with Jacob, Jacob, no plot twist, not plot spoiler, we got married, but um, after like nearly 20 years together. But I feel so grateful that I got to write our story, this story, you know, and the irony is I wrote it, the, the, as you, the memoir is written you see, again, my terrible dyslexia first, third, which person is it? But, you know, I write between the he and the you, and I'm often the you is Jacob, and I'm talking to him. The one person, the one audience I wrote it for, for him, the one person who hasn't read it will never read it probably is Jacob. Because Jacob has always been like, I love what you do, I'm not interested with, let's get on and do our lives. And, and also, it happened to him, and it's a big thing. And But he has been so, like, it's so cool you wrote it. It's so cool. You should, you've got to do it. It's so writing, expressing yourself is so important. And I say that to any writer, you know, like just get it down because it's expression and it's communication and somebody will read it and someone will connect with it. And I felt so inspired. The amount of novels. Honestly, um, that's exactly like how you said that people came to you being like, oh, they're talking about this and this. I literally finished the book and I, I just had to sit for 10 minutes and I was like, I just need to tell all the people in my life right now that I love them. And I think if you're gifting some, like it, you're gifting someone a moment of of presence and, and bringing that back into the world, I think is just one of the most beautiful gifts ever. So I highly recommend that everyone gets um, their hands on It's Not a Pity memoir. Now you've given so much, so much goodness and just like so much nuggets of advice. I can't wait to listen back to this episode myself, but is there any other um, parts of advice that you would like to pass on to up and coming writers or someone on their journey at the moment? Um, oh God, I'm trying to think of a new one that I haven't said before, but actually I guess I guess be bold, be brave, and there's no room for doubt. And that doesn't mean that you don't question what you write, but doubt is a dangerous thing. Doubt is just some, doubt is a block. Don't, other people will doubt. You don't need to worry about that. You know, just push yourself forward and enjoy the crap. You know, I just, I think one of the things, I don't experience writer's block, but it's mainly because I don't set myself, I just walk around the block if it is there, you know, so, okay, that's fine I'll just you know I don't I, I try not to worry I mean I you know I there are things that I've written that I don't love there are things I've written I'm really proud of there are things that I've done well there are things that I haven't you know and everything I said you know it's it's this it's the Sam Beckett line you know try again fail again try again fail better you know it's the so I would say just 
don't be put off by the fact that everything you write doesn't look like Chekhov. You know, Tennessee Williams rewrote The Glass Menagerie 10 years on after its Broadway run. You know, there is always room to rewrite. Every writer will want to rewrite. And that is what writing is. It's the writing is rewriting. Um, and also find, the, find, find your champions. And when I say your champions, that could be your mom, that could be your best friend, that could be a script editor, that could be a neighbor, that could be a, a, your drama teacher. But find somebody who gets you because that one person means there'll be another person in the world. We're not all so unique, you know, and, uh, and, and be bold with yourself. And, and I guess try and live your life as honestly as possible. And I don't always live my life honestly, but I try and I write too much. You know, one of the big things of my criticism of my work at the moment is everyone's talking too much. No one talks that much in real life, talk less. So I'm trying to find a way of getting people to say more by talking less in my writing. Um, and that means I've got to distill and think and think about what I want to say more. And so I, I'm going through a slightly different period, which is some of the things I, some of the mechanisms I see happen in young writers, they go, oh my God, I'm trying to think about every word and I'm thinking more about what I put out into the world. So I get that. But the main thing is just keep writing and keep writing and keep writing. And it sounds like such a simple thing. And that when I say keep writing, don't write a whole play. No one's expecting you to write a whole play in the day. Write a letter, write an email. Write a text message, voicemail yourself. We live in this amazing digital age. Um, I don't think you're gonna be Tennessee Williams tomorrow because the other thing is we're in an age where, you know, you film yourself, you get 500 you know, hits within 20 minutes, whatever it is. I don't even understand it entirely. Um, and that's great, but that's jam. That's just jam, 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 jam. Hold your jam. Writing is taking time to get your jam. It'll be lovely in the end. The jam will be more large, it will sustain. But if you keep coming up for air and showing your script every page, you'll never finish that script because it will keep being affected. Hold your, hold and try and hear to, try and connect with your inner voice that goes, this could be shit, I'm gonna keep going. Find your running partner, find your champion, model it on someone you admire, model it on someone you love. The other thing is read plays. Read plays, read screenplays, plagiarize. And I don't mean plagiarize words, I mean, Look at that structure and go, God, I love the way Simon Beaufort lays out a script or Peter Straw lays out a script or Nora Ephron lays out a script. I love, the, I love che Chekhov's, you know, structure. Nick, from, you know, find, find your models, find those people you admire, learn from them. And you can do that on your own with a play, reading in an afternoon. So it doesn't take a lot. You don't have to have money to go to the theatre, borrow a book from a library, watch a movie. You know, it's, it's, it's just keeping yourself learning. So... My Jake always laughs, my kids always laugh, because when I go to see a film, I love to know exactly what it's about. I like to know its structure. I like to know how it's going to end, because one of my joys is to go, oh, my God, I get it, how he's going to get there now. I love watching something structurally. It's yeah. weird. Yeah. 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 Is that yeah, that definitely makes sense. I, I get that. Yeah, it's it, like how I said, it's like reading with a writer's brain, where you're like, oh, okay, I can yeah. see I can see where you're, you're going from that now. Oh, my gosh, I can't thank, I can't thank you enough for everything that you've shared with us today, Abby. If anyone wants to reach out to you, um, see what you've got going on, where is the best place for listeners to get in contact? Um, it's... Uh, um, Oh God! Uh, uh, oh my God! I can have Abby Abby M. I think I am. Let, let's do this. Let's do this properly because I'm such an old. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes girl. anyway. <laughs> Just put it in the show notes. But I'm definitely. I think I'm on Instagram now, so you can reach me on Instagram. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, I'm uh, Abby Morgan Nine on Instagram. Perfect. Or I'm Abby Abby M on Twitter. 
excellent. And I'll put it all in there. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us today. And thank you for your incredible book. Thank you for all your work. Um, I'm excited to see what you're working on next. <laughs> Thanks, Abby. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Have a good day. Bye.